This week on Middle Ground, Bobby Frank gives Texas another run for his money. Who is Bobby Frank? Oh, you know, Robert Francis O'Rourke. Better luck this time. Welcome to Middle Ground on Front Porch Report, where every other week, Sam and I look at local, national, and international stories that have significance for us as Christians. We strive to cut through the noise of ideology and partisanship to focus on what the biblical worldview tells us is really going on. In a world full of left versus right and us versus them, we seek to tease out the nuance of every situation and find the middle ground. Thank you for joining us this week. The report is in. All right, Sam, we're back with another episode of Middle Ground. Are you ready for everything that we are going to experience today? I am so ready. That sounded so disenchanted. I know, you sounded so incredibly excited. That sounded so disenchanted. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Let's go. No, actually, on a serious note, I am really excited for today because it's... uh, I'm very like vested in Texas politics and I haven't had anything to be vested in because John Corden is the human equivalent of milk toast. So we haven't had anything interesting happen in quite some time, electorally speaking. Yeah. Nothing, nothing local at least 2020 was pretty exciting in its own special, very special way. So special that we did two specials on it. Didn't we? We did. But today is going to be a very politically centric episode, and I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but I just think it's really interesting to kind of see the direction that the two parties are taking, and also the ways that they maybe aren't as ideologically pure as they might claim to be. But to start out, as we teased at the beginning, Sam, you told me a few days ago that we had a new candidate for governor here in texas tell us about that we do indeed beto o'rourke has announced that he is running for governor and just to catch people up who maybe haven't been following this saga what is beto's political history and what's been going on in the past couple of years with him yeah so Beto kind of arose to prominence in 2012 when he ran for U.S. House of Representatives, Texas District Number 16, uh, which is out in El Paso. He won that office all the way back in 2012. Uh, He served in Congress from 2013 is when he was sworn in all the way through 2019. Uh, The reason why he did not seek re-election in 2018 is uh, during 2018, he actually ran for Senate. Uh, So he was moving from the lower house of Congress to the upper house of Congress. And I should say chamber of Congress for clarification. So he was a U.S. representative? That is correct. He was a U.S. representative. And then he ran in 2018, ran a very close race against Ted Cruz at the time. He lost by only three points. And so I think it's important to say that when we talk about percentage points, you know, if, if someone were to win by, say, 20 percentage points, that race's margin would be 60 to 40. And there, there's a 20 point spread in between those two. Uh, but 
theoretically, it would only take 11 percentage points to flip that. And so, you know, when we say that something was a three-point spread, you know, if one and a half percent plus one person had changed their mind, uh, we would have a different U.S. senator. And so it was a very, very narrow victory with Cruz. Cruz received approximately 51% of the votes. So after losing that uh, Senate bid in 2018, O'Rourke then ran for president, uh, formally announcing for the Democratic nomination in 2019. I don't remember how far he lasted. He certainly dropped out well before Super Tuesday and did not receive a single delegate in the allotment of delegates for the Democratic primary process. So um, he has kind of just been not in elected office since then, since 2018, I should say. Uh, And he's kind of just been failing at elections since. Well, sometimes failure is the best teacher, and sometimes failure just gives you the opportunity to have a platform that makes you feel like you can do it the next time. And it looks like just whenever an opportunity arises, he takes it. You know, we're not electing a senator this time around, but we are electing a governor. So why not? He's probably the most famous Democrat in Texas anyway. He's got national recognition. Even that Senate race got a little bit of national recognition. And if you live in Texas and if you live near a city, you probably saw Beto for Senate or Beto for America signs popping up over the past couple of years. Politically, to run in a place like Texas, it requires you know, a certain amount of tightrope walking. So what, what kind of has he looked like in his evolution as a politician? You know, it, it's been interesting. Uh, he was on the city council in El Paso. He was mayor pro tem of El Paso. He eventually went to the House of Representatives, like I said. In the House, he was a fairly liberal candidate in the House. He famously voted against the Iron Dome for Israel. And he was like one of seven House members to do so, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was a very, very small uh, amount of people that voted no against it. Uh, and and to tell you, Nancy Pelosi voted in favor of that. And so that kind of just gives you an indication of how liberal he was when he was in the House. And then when he ran for Senate in 2018, he kind of tried to pass off as a moderate. And that was you know kind of a, a staple point of his campaign. At one point during the debate with Ted Cruz, he, he was screaming on stage that he was for the Second Amendment. At one point in a rally in Houston, he talked about how Uh, He wasn't planning on taking anyone's guns away. He believes the Second Amendment of the Constitution needed to be defended. And he said, quote, we have this great, proud, honorable heritage and proud tradition of gun ownership in Texas. So you kind of see this this flip flop of when he was in the House being fairly liberal to kind of realizing that he didn't have a chance against Cruz if he didn't, you know, at least put on some semblance of moderation. We see that he didn't really stand a chance against Cruz if he didn't at least try to act like a moderate. However, in when he ran for president after losing the Senate bid, he went completely back to where he was when he was in the House. And so famously on a debate stage for the Democratic primary debates, he screamed, hell yes, we're going to take away your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to let you have these weapons of war. And so you kind of have this flip-flop of, of Beto when he's running for Senate saying, you know, well, we're not going to take away your guns. Don't worry. And then when he's running for president, he kind of just says, you know, hell yes, we're going to take it. And so I I foresee that being used against him fairly heavily this election cycle, at least in the general election. 
And some sort of a flip-flop is not necessarily unusual for a politician or, you know, maybe a political evolution. But how do you think this change is going to affect his electoral chances this time around? Yeah, so, I mean, we kind of have to holistically look at the situation. So O'Rourke was extremely popular when he ran for district seat in 2016, uh, which was his last successful election, he won 85% of the vote in both the primary and the general election. Granted, this is El Paso, so it's a fairly liberal district, uh, but still an 85% majority of the vote is, is something like a, a 70 point victory. Yeah, that's pretty wide. So we can see that he was fairly popular then. When he ran in 2018 against Cruz, like I mentioned earlier, he lost only by three points. Uh, but Cruz wasn't really a well-liked figure in Texas. Cruz had ran for president in 2016, coming in second to Donald Trump. He was considered to be far more conservative than a lot of the mainstream Republicans in Texas and, and kind of had ruffled some feathers in the mainstream Republican Party and was, was really considered on the far right side. And so Cruz wasn't an extremely liked figure at that point. And, and it's important to know that in that election, that same ballot, Greg Abbott was running for re-election in 2018. Greg Abbott was running against Lupe Valdez, uh, who is the former uh, sheriff of Dallas County. Um, and Abbott didn't win by three points. Abbott won by 13 points. Uh, right, he won fifty-five percent to Luby Valdez's forty-two. Uh, so you know, extreme different situations. So you definitely have some personality differences in twenty eighteen of people voting for Abbott on one hand and voting for Beto on the other hand. Tarrant County, where you're situated, was red for Abbott but was blue for Beto. And it was on the same ballot. And so that indicated that people were either abstaining voting for Cruz or people voted for uh, Abbott and then Beto at that point. Uh, it's kind of important to know that, that at this point, you know, Abbott really was considered a moderate figure or establishment Republican at this point. He wasn't considered a Trumpian Republican. It wasn't really until after 2018 that Abbott started to see the motivation and the intensity of the party being more to the right that Abbott kind of started to move that way. In fact, uh, a lot of the people who are running against Abbott in the Republican primary are accusing him of not being conservative enough. And so you have people on the flight of Abbott saying that he's too moderate uh, this go around in the primary for the Republicans. So and just to put things in perspective, the people that are calling him too moderate are calling him too moderate after the recent abortion law, a lot of the gun rights stuff that's been coming out, and what he's been doing down at the border as well. So that gives you kind of a perspective on where some of the Republicans are here in Texas. Yeah, that, that's definitely some of it. Uh, most of those accusations of, of being too moderate came about during the COVID situation uh, when Abbott was implementing the COVID lockdowns in 2020. Uh, that's when you had Chad Prather, who was very vocal against lockdowns, uh, very vocal against mass mandates. And Abbott hadn't you know, stopped mask mandates at this point. Abbott hadn't done anything. Abbott was actually, you know, 
listening to public health policy and, and making decisions. And that's where kind of the accusations of, of moderation came about. Uh, and then they've still continued even to this day. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. Even after the banning of mass mandates, even after the abortion, even after constitutional carry, even after all the, the bills and things that Abbott has signed and done through executive action, he still has people running to his right. Uh, so you, you are right there. So this is going to be an interesting race because you have Abbott, who, in my opinion, probably has the likability of Cruz in 2018, um, running against Beto, who has the likability of Beto in 2018. And you have a lot of things that Texans are upset about. Some Republicans weren't happy with constitutional carry. Some Republicans aren't in favor of the abortion bill because they think it's duplicitous in the enforcement mechanism and would have much rather had a bill similar to what Mississippi had and just challenged Roe v. Wade directly instead of this, you know, kind of back channel weird thing. And so you have Beto doing his flip-flop that we talked about, and you also have Abbott with that whole situation. And so if I was to bet, I would say this is going to be a fairly close race, similar to what we saw in, in 2018 with the, the Cruz O'Rourke election for Senate, except this time it's, it's the gubernatorial election. Now, we're still in the primaries arena right now. What do you think the odds are that by next fall we are in a, a race between O'Rourke and Abbott? I would say it's extremely likely. Uh, you have right now four Democratic candidates who've been announced, and the only one with the name recognition of any semblance is O'Rourke. You have Larry Baguette, Michael Cooper, and Deidre Dixon Gilbert. Uh, also running again, none of them have the name recognition that O'Rourke does with the presidential bid and the senatorial bid. You also have in the Republican side, you have Daniel Harrison, who is not going to receive any semblance of any meaningful votes. You have Donald Huffines. He's from the Louisville area up in DFW. Uh, and again, is, is kind of running to Abbott's right. You have the comedian Chad Prather. I'm going to say that again. You have the comedian Chad Prather running against Abbott, um, and he's going to get some votes probably from his fan base, but nothing major. Uh, and then the only other serious candidate besides um, Huff Hines actually running against Abbott in the primaries would be Colonel Allen West. Uh, he's a, a former congressman. Uh, from Florida. He was the head of the Republican Party of Texas for some time until he stepped down to run for governor. And so uh, he's also running to Abbott's right, but it's more um, in regards to some issues that he had with Abbott with how he handled COVID uh, in the initial steps. So We'll be interested to see how it goes. If I was the betting man, I'd say that if we were to look at the ballot for 2022, we would see uh, O'Rourke versus Abbott. And then one final question. As Christians are looking at this and are seeing the possibility of a very close race and maybe even the possibility of a Democratic governor of Texas, I know that there are a lot of people who claim the name of Christ who would view that possibility with a great deal of trepidation. Do you have any encouragement to offer the Christian for this kind of a political situation or just thoughts from a Christian worldview? Well, I think we need to divorce politics and, and religion um, because 
Uh, I think all too often we have people who vote Republican that go to church on Sundays, and instead we should view ourselves as, as Christians that sometime vote Republican or, or that sometime vote Democrat or, or whatever your political preference is. I think it's important there. If you're a gung-ho Republican, I, I would just remind you that in 2020, which was you know a year ago, you know John Cornyn won the senatorial bid by something like 10 percentage points, right? Uh, John Cornyn is considered a more establishment moderate Republican in the hat. And so, you know, if you're worried about, you know, some of the quote crazy left that's coming in and, and going to do things, I, I don't think that that Texas wants that, but I do think Texas might want something different than Greg Abbott. So I, I don't know, but I, I do know that whatever comes or whatever happens in this situation with with Abbott or O'Rourke or, you know, if one of the other Republicans actually manages to be Abbott in the primary, then that will almost guarantee an O'Rourke win, in my opinion. But, you know, whatever happens there, um, we as Christians, I think, should be involved in politics, but we as Christians shouldn't look to politics as our savior. Ultimately, the Lord God is still on the throne. Uh, as we read in, in Revelation 4 and 5, we see that they are bowing down and worshiping him. And he is still in control. And so we should take solace in that. Um, and I think Christians need to understand that, especially here in America, we've been afforded some cultural capital over the years that we are starting to lose. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus said, blessed are you when they persecute you. Jesus said that persecution will come. Um, and to any semblance that the Republican Party has tried to paint Christians being under fire or Christians having persecution being thrown against them, it's nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters in China are facing or our brothers and sisters in the first century faced, uh, where they were hunted like dogs and killed for their faith. And so my biggest thing is, is man, let's, let's not look to a political party as a savior, you know, reelecting Donald Trump in 2024 is not going to save America just as much as, as Joe Biden being elected in 2020 wasn't the end of America, you know, and even, even if that does happen, we serve a, a kingdom that is far greater than America will ever be uh, because we serve the kingdom of God and, and God is still seated on the throne there. Amen. And the most important political action that any of us can take, even more so than voting, is praying for our leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is only through the power of Christ that good things can happen. And every time that we vote, we're faced with a choice between two imperfect people that are going to be buffeted by evil pressures and succumb to sinful desires and will not represent us in the way that we ultimately want to be represented. But when we pray, we can pray for any leader, whether they're Republican or Democrat, pray that they have the wisdom to operate in their office and in the world in a way that brings glory to God and ultimately brings greater flourishing and justice to the most people. And then beyond that, we can be the hands and feet of God in our own context and as far as our influence reaches to try to bring about solutions to some of those problems rather than looking to government as a savior that'll bring the jobs back or protect us from the immigrants or solve universal health care or whatever the case may be. 
All right, Sam, since Thanksgiving is this week, I thought that instead of a hot take, we could have a little bit of fun and uh, just talk about what we're thankful for. So we'll do you this time, and then in the next episode, I can I can answer for mine. So what are you thankful for this week, Sam? I would like to point out this is not in any rank order for clarification. I'm just going to throw that one out there. I'm definitely most grateful for my wife. She is an amazing rock. If you do listen to this, I love you, honey. If you don't listen to this, I still love you, honey. Uh, But um, for those of y'all who don't know, I am in med school and um, trying to do a weekly podcast and be in med school and be married. And if you're not married, you don't realize the time commitment being married takes. But if you are married, you understand it's actually a time commitment is a lot. And so to not have to worry about increased financial burden by having um, my wife and also not worry about loneliness because I have my wife and, and just general like doing life together is really great. Um, so I would say marriage is a 10 out of 10 would recommend uh, for those who are interested. I also want to say thank you to our listeners. Um, my dad, shout out. Um, <laughs> there's a, there are a few regular listeners that we have. And so uh, I think thankful for them. I'm thankful for the, the chance for me to have an education. America is a, is an interesting place and you know, I was the son of a blue collar worker. My dad fixed gas pumps. Uh, my dad still fixes gas pumps. Uh, and with that, he raised six kids. And, uh, you know, that's, it blows my mind having eight mouths to feed um, with that. And through working hard and, and having access to things like student loans, and, and which that's a privilege, uh, believe it or not, is, is being able to even access them. I was able to, you know, graduate high school. Um, I was the first male in my family to get a collegiate degree, which was an associate's degree. Uh, I then went to a, a fairly prestigious university for my undergrad. Uh, I then got a master's degree, and, and now I'm studying to be a doctor. And and so uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my family who supported me through that process, and and kind of <laughs> helped me in along the way because it. It was an arduous thing. It really was. So my educators, my friends, my family who supported me through, good Lord, um, three college degrees working on a fourth, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that is, that's been amazing. Uh, and then I'm going to wrap it up by saying I'm thankful for you, Taz. Um, you know, when I came to Texas Christian University, I um was an interesting character to say the least i had met jesus about six months before that and so i was very young in my faith and and having someone like you who was willing to sit down and talk with me um and just let's have a meal together and talk about the faith and you know i remember one of our first interactions you looked at me and said share your testimony with me in under three minutes and i had never been asked that and i fumbled my way through it and i did it but uh we ended up being college roommates we spurred each other on uh towards jesus uh, i was a groomsman in your wedding you were a groomsman in my wedding and so uh you know it's it's been an amazing thing and, and now we get to do content creation together um even if you know if no one listened to it, we'd still have these conversations. That's the funny thing is, is most people don't realize this is just an outpour of conversations that we would have on a normal basis anyway. 
that's that's what I'm thankful for. And I guess because my cat is currently rubbing all over my leg, I can say I'm thankful for the cats. But that's just because he wants food. <laughs> well, I appreciate you too, Sam. You're going to be a great doctor one of these days. He's got to stick through the pain. <laughs> Fake laughter, real pain, I know. Oh, man. So this week we're going to do something a little bit different and split our middle ground episode up a little bit. So this episode is dropping today. The next one will drop in a couple of days. And on that episode, I'll share what I am thankful for. But thank you all for joining us and we will catch you next time. And it might be sooner than you think. Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, follow on Twitter where we are at Front Report or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Did Vader know? Did Vader know? Did Vader know that Obi Wan was going to die in that encounter? He was probably intent on making it happen. He's probably pretty angry, you know. Like they don't necessarily express it, but like last time you saw this guy, he walked away while you were burning. So, at least put on some semblance of moderate modernity, moderation, moderateness, moderateness. Let's all right. Let's let's hope and pray I can release this by Wednesday. <laughs>